Hello and welcome to Beyond the Page, a Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today I'm talking with Lori Krieg. Lori is a writer, speaker, and ministry leader, and the recent co-author of a book with her husband, Matt, called The Impossible Marriage. Lori, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. So glad to be here with you. Now, I, I do want to make a disclaimer for this episode that we're going to be talking about marriage and sexuality, pornography addiction, sexual trauma, and, and, and will be appropriate and professional, of course, but I, I wanted to give that as a trigger warning at the outset for those of you for whom this is a sensitive topic. And I, I think this could be a healing conversation for some people. I think it's going to be an important conversation for some people. It might help you realize that you're not alone or jumpstart healing in your own marriage. Uh, but you have to decide that for yourself. And since we are not a counseling podcast and not a podcast on sexuality, I wanted to kind of begin by giving a content warning of sorts for this conversation. So with that said, Lori, can you kind of give our listeners an overview of what your book is about? Yeah, an impossible marriage looks through the lens of uh, my husband and my version of an impossible marriage, because I think all marriages are impossible without Jesus. I think all lives, all singleness and marriage is impossible without Jesus. But our version looks through that lens to uh, the marriage between Christ and the church. And it is story driven. I have yet to find someone categorize this book. (laughs) Like it's part memoir, part self-help, part marriage book, part singleness book. Um, But Our version of an impossible marriage is a few things, but some challenges that we face um, are uh, we are in what is called a mixed orientation marriage. Now, when I was getting married, I didn't know our type of marriage had a type. I just knew my version of sexual brokenness and my husband's, and here we are with a type. But what mixed orientation marriage means is one of the spouses default sexual attraction is not toward the gender of their spouse. So that would be me. When I struggle with lust, it's toward women. However, here I am in this heterosexual marriage to a dude. So we really, throughout the book, again, eyes focused on the marriage, although it's not like (laughs) only focus there. But looking through the lens of our marriage, you hear me, hear us, because it's a story back and forth between Matt and I, uh, his perspective and mine. You hear us wrestle through the questions, what is marriage? And specifically, why is it male and female marriage? And then secondarily, what is sex and what's the stinking purpose of it? So those are some questions that we really wrestle through while looking through the lens of our version of an impossible marriage. One of the things that I really liked about the book, and you said it sort of defies categorization, and I think that's true. Uh, When I sort of went into the book, uh, having only read the back cover copy, then I I had this idea that it was was going to primarily be about the struggles of, of of what you term a mixed orientation marriage. And, and what I got was, was so much more than that. Uh, and I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. Um, but you both write 
from your own perspectives and the the chapters are broken into sections it's it's like okay you know laurie wrote this part matt wrote this part you're really getting a very intimate look into each of your perspectives regarding some topic something at that particular time did you know that you were going to write the book like that from the outset or was that just how it turned out like from each of our perspectives your perspectives yes yeah yeah you know when i read marriage books i struggle because they're so often from only one perspective and honestly most frequently from the dude (laughs) so when i as a married woman i'm always curious about what is the wife thinking about what he's saying and is this real life like are they actually like for real living this out or is this just some good theological stuff good advice And so we knew from the beginning, um, well, we had a sense when we were pitching it, when InterVarsity came to us and asked us to pitch them something, um, I was like, I don't want this to be one-sided because I don't like reading one-sided marriage books. There's two people involved. And I really wanted to write a book that I would want to read. And so Matt and I, instead of writing it in one voice between the two of us, we're like, Let's see from through each other's eyes, looking at the same issue. And we found that in writing it, it was like a sweetness to our own hearts. Like there was some catharsis, but in readers response, they've appreciated it because it's real life. It's just real life. If uh, you're married or, or single, no one, even you know, you're two or one flesh, no one sees a same issue the same way. And so um, I'm glad we wrote it that way. And it seems like people have appreciated that. I think obviously the way in which you went about writing this book and the topics that you cover, you are rehashing a lot of trauma and a lot of struggle Mm. that you've gone through in Mm. marriage. Um, How did you, as you're going through this, did, did you find that, you know, there were painful moments that that you were like, you know, I don't want to deal with this again. Or were there moments where you're like, (laughs) you know, dealing with this again is actually more helpful. And we find ourselves in a better place having looked at this again than Mm -hmm. when we dealt with it the first time. Mm. So sharing your life with an audience is a form of looking like Jesus. It's such a way of opening up your arms like him on the cross and being like, I want to be vulnerable and this is scary. And I uh, believe it will produce fruit if this is what God is calling us to. I'm not saying, you know, the vulnerability that we went to, everyone is called to the same platform, but I think everyone's called to the level of vulnerability somewhere. So in writing it, though, I was very, we were so prayerful. Um, as we were writing it and just like, Jesus, do you even want us to put this in there? And then as I was writing it, there were some times I was just crying while I was writing it, but it wasn't like, oh, I have to write this and I have to share this. Like I'm somehow like emotionally abusing myself, even in sharing it this vulnerably, it 
felt so sweet to my soul and yet like, and healing. So I would say definitely more that way. And yet there is still a cost to being vulnerable, like so authentic with uh, such a large audience. So it was kind of both. Like I am aware of what I'm doing, that this is going to cost. And people, because my arms are outstretched, people could stab me like with our vulnerability. But in the writing process and even in going back and reading it, there's healing and reading it. And there was a sweetness in writing it. However, there's still some risk. And can be fear in that level of vulnerability. The, the hook for this book is the fact that your your marriage is what you term mixed orientation. Um, can you yeah. talk to me about, I guess, that phrase in particular? Uh, is that something that, that that is a you know clinical description? Is that something that you guys came up with? And uh, I guess more than that. What what was that experience like as you began to work through the realization that that you know you're saying that you're not attracted to men and yet you know here you are with mm-hmm. right right so um, it's not a clinical term I don't know who came up with it actually it's just in my LGBT world that I'm in is that's just what it's called. Um, And so when I said I got married and didn't know, I was aware of my attractions to women. I met Matt when I was in a relationship with a woman secretly. (laughs) So um, I was definitely aware of that. I just wasn't aware that I had a label. So we do unpack um, that nuance between men and women. So when Matt and I got married and started dating, like I said, Uh, I was aware, but so was he. So in college, I had felt attractions to the same sex growing up. I tried dating guys throughout, but I was always a little baffled that I um, didn't really want to be close to them physically. Like it just, there's such a barrier, a wall. It just, I was like, I just, no. Um, And then I met another girl who felt the same way about me as I did about her in college at my Christian college. And I was so baffled when we began this secret same-sex relationship. And I was baffled because I was like a really good Christian. (laughs) Like, I thought I had to be like sleeping around and like doing drugs and like definitely not love Jesus. Now, this was in the early 2000s. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So now it's a bit more acceptable in the different circles, same-sex relationships um, in normal although I still believe that's not God's design for marriage. I'm just saying the cultural Christian cultural perspective was very not at all. That is not at all Christian. So I was very silent about it and I was very struggling on my own with what to do with this uh, relationship and my faith and that intersexuality, that intersection. And so, um, I ended up breaking up with my girlfriend and after college, I was a newspaper reporter and I actually tried dating Matt because my heart was drawn to him after I broke up. And I told Matt, I was like, Hey, so I like just broke up with this girl, but I don't know what this is, but there's something weird about Matt in me. It was like, it wasn't 
men, it was Matt that my heart was drawn to. And so we started dating for a little bit and then I prayed about it. We like even like alluded to marriage and I just felt like God said no when I broke up with him. And when we broke up after I graduated college, it was like God pushed pause in that relationship. And I felt like every minute of every day, a woman was what I needed. Like, I was like, I don't know what that was, but (laughs) that's done. And I was wrestling even more than when I was with my girlfriend, when I was single with my faith and sexuality, but also wrestling with depression because I uh, hated myself so much and I, I couldn't hate myself enough. It felt like to get rid of these attractions, of same sex. Like I remember looking down at my body and being like, where's the gay part? Like, is it like an appendix that I can just like cut out? And, um, one of my friends, she was like, yeah, so you should probably not want to kill yourself. You should probably see a counselor for that. <laughs> so I started seeing a lady Um, And it was just God's orchestration that I met with someone who didn't treat me like other counselors I had tried seeing when I was with my girlfriend. Um, There's one good dude, but I thought, tried to see a few others who, when I would explain what was going on with me, they'd either like look at me like a deer in the headlights or just tell me to break up or just, I don't know. People were not great at engaging this conversation without shame without Leviticus 18 and 19 and without, you know, without all the sledgehammer verses and just being with me. But this lady understood how to walk with me and she met me in that depressed state. And then when I wanted to talk about the sexuality thing, she met me there too and didn't ever pull out Romans one or first Corinthians six and smash me over the head with the Bible. She just listened and heard and she listened below my longings. So what I mean when I say that is I believe we were all born with this God shaped hole in our heart. We've all heard that a million times, but not just like, Oh, you have a hole in your heart and you need Jesus. Cause like I already had Jesus. I was a Christian. My dad was a pastor, Christian school, Christian leader, blah, blah, blah. How could I become more Christian? But she taught me to hear what was inside that hole in our heart are good needs for things like belonging and to be seen and known and to be, uh, have purpose you see this all before the fall in genesis 1 and 2 you know this belonging it's not good for man to be alone and uh to uh yet have uniqueness he, he creates us uniquely and to have purpose he gave us jobs to do and so the fall comes however the fall of man and all of us because of the fall now have a natural to us default predisposition or orientation, if you will, to get those good needs of our heart met in ways that don't actually satisfy us and don't glorify God. We are all born that way. I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know. I just felt these desires. And so she'd ask me questions without shame, without judgment. She just would ask genuinely, curiously, like, Lori, when you envision the ideal perfect woman, what are you picturing? And I was like, 
Well, I'm not going to share that with you because that's awkward and you're old and I'm not going to talk about that. But then I started talking and I was so, again, baffled. I was so surprised because the words that came tumbling out of my mouth were not sexual words. They were heart words. Like, I want to be seen and known and loved. And she said, Lori, those are good things. They're just going to the wrong place. Now, the right place was not to a dude. That's called idolatry. Same thing. It's idolatry also. And I was like, well, don't tell me Jesus is the one I need to go to because I know Jesus like super good. So stop saying that. Now, the answer is Jesus <laughs> that I need to go to. But I didn't realize that I knew Jesus in my mind. But there were some barriers between those good needs in my heart and the need meter of my soul. I had like bitterness and pain and like I didn't know I could take like not just trauma in my life but like regular old pain to him and grieve it and lament it. Lament and listening play, uh, prayer were like clutch for me. Those were huge as far as taking my knowledge of God in my mind and I knew God in my heart but like really experiencing God at those places of needing to be seen and known and loved. And I fell in love with him. That's the only way I know how to describe it. In Ephesians 3 says, God's love has power. Paul says, may you know this love, though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. But then you will be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God's love empowers us to not become straight. God's love empowers us to die to self daily. Whatever our natural to us defaults are to get those good needs of our heart met in ways that don't actually satisfy and don't glorify God. His love empowers us to die to those and to seek him. And so I fell in love with Jesus. And then I was going to go be single and go be a professor on one of the coasts and because that's what you do. And um, I, I sensed God's hand on my shoulder saying, Lori, I have someone for you. Now, he didn't say that to everyone like me. Don't try and go hook up all of your single friends and especially not your single friends who are attracted to the same sex. God might be calling them to singleness. And you know what? Singleness and marriage are equally valuable modes we do the mission to make disciples. Those are equally valuable. So it wasn't like, oh, good, Lori, you got your heart together. Now let's do what's next on the timeline. Get married. No. He just said, Lori, I have a job for you, and I know it's going to bless you the best and sanctify you the best. And for you, that's marriage. And so that stressed me out. But God had my heart not connect to men, that would be super weird and very stressful. He had me brought Matt back into the picture through a series of really interesting events that we talk about in the book. And so my heart connected to Matt inexplicably. I don't know how to say it. And the mission, we saw a similar mission. And then the physical attractions can follow that, which I got to be honest with you, ask any woman or man, but mostly woman who's married more than like five whole minutes, the straightest woman, you know, ask her, 
Is she always naturally attracted to her husband? No, it starts with the heart and can lead to the physical. And so um, that's how our marriage uh, really operated for the first six years. But then something happened year seven, which is what we unpack. But that was a very long answer to your short question. But it's important to hear. Otherwise, it just feels like I just, well, this is what women do, get married. It yeah. wasn't that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very important to set that context because for those who are same-sex attracted and are Christian, mm. then I feel like you, you're you sort of left with with probably – what, three or, or yeah, three or four different camps. I also have four different camps, and you know, camp camp mm-hmm. one is um, I feel same sex attracted. I I do not believe that um, acting on that attraction is is godly, so I will stay single. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or the 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 next step is uh, what you have done is to say this is my conviction. Um, however, I am going, I feel also feel called to pursue marriage, uh, with, with someone mm-hmm. of the opposite sex. Uh, the, the third mm-hmm. area would be something along the lines of, uh, I've studied these passages and it's not my conviction that, uh, mm-hmm. scripture, uh, is against, um, monogamous, uh, same sex attraction. Uh, and then the fourth one would be I'm walking away from Christianity altogether. I I can no longer um, can, can no longer accept it along with what my 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 sexual orientation or attraction does not feel compatible to this faith that I have or had. Uh, and obviously, you find yourself in that area of having a, a, a conviction that I, I should not act on this natural attraction Mm -hmm. and orientation that I have. Uh, What would you say to those who are same-sex attracted and have looked at these verses in Scripture, have really studied Scripture, and have come to the conclusion that that they don't see that Scripture forbids that type of relationship? Mm -hmm. I'd say I hear you, and I'd, I'd probably ask more questions. You know, if they really want to engage, uh, I just ask more questions like, okay, well, what what passages for you were um, like really didn't like were just like, that doesn't seem clear. I just think this, 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 or, you know, I just, I, I would just want to engage the passages that they really wrestled through um, because I've, I've engaged uh, those as well. So just be an interesting conversation. Um, but to be frank, um, the passages against same sex marriage didn't keep me in my marriage when at year seven, uh, it all started falling apart. (laughs) It was not the no that kept me in my marriage. It was the metaphor it was the yes of why why not the why i don't honestly the no against same-sex marriage was pretty boring to me at that moment but the question i want to know is what was the yes of male and female marriage so i i try and go steer the conversation that direction as well i think that that speaks to uh, a different look at 
marriage than a lot of times we think of it in in Christian culture. Um, because, mm-hmm. and I, I guess this is this is kind of a, maybe a, a weird statement, um, but because of the way in which a lot of conservative evangelical Christianity looks at, at homosexuality and homosexual behavior, uh, we, we kind of have this thing where we where we've sexualized marriage, and you know maybe you're listening mm-hmm. to that that and you're like, well, duh, of course we have. That's the appropriate boundary within to have mm-hmm. sex. Uh, but there is also this sense that that the, the sexual act is not the only aspect of mm. the marriage relationship. Uh, it can, mm. you know, it is it can be an, an important part of. Uh, it, it can be mm-hmm. you know a developing part of the relationship, but there, <laughs> as a married man, let me tell you, there are vast quantities of time in my marriage uh, when I am not having sex, and mm-hmm. <laughs> like like and, more and, times than not, more times than not, and you know what? That that's fine because you get tired after a while. Uh, you know, it's just, it's, so I I think when we when we talk about like. Like obviously, it, it, it sounds funny because it is, but there there are many other things, many other relational things that mm-hmm. form the core of my relationship with my wife, mm-hmm. and and those things were developed before we were married. The friendship, yeah. the the conversations, mm-hmm. the shared vision for life. You know, all of those things are more important than the sexual aspect of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is true, you know, that, that, that's true. In our, that, that, and I'm sure that that's true in everyone's marriage. What we tend mm-hmm. to do when we, when you're like, well, how can you make a mixed orientation marriage work? You're, you elevate that yep. that centrality of the sexual act and be like, well, if, if you're incompatible in this one area or if you, if you have problems in this one area, you can't make it work. And, mm. you know, I don't, that, that really, that if, if I, I know, I just, I just think that's weird that as, as Christians, uh, we tend to be very conservative regarding sex. We don't like to talk about it that much. And, and yet when it comes to, to marriage, uh, we almost kind of push it as being like, uh, and I think it's because Christians, the belief is that this is the only, that the only uh, Christian expression of sexuality is within marriage, and so it kind of gets pushed mm-hmm. to a more, like, almost to a to a sacred point within the marriage of like how you unlocked something. Um, but marriage is so much more than mm-hmm. that. Mar- marriage is 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 a lot more than that. Um, how did you make your relationship with Matt work like what did you feel like it was it was wrapped around uh, since obviously mm. the, the the sexual aspect was a challenge for the two of you yeah yeah man I love your processing just by the way and like seeing our hypocrisy where we're like we won't talk about sex and yet sex is a hundred percent ultimate to so many of us because it's like well once you get married then all your dreams come true your heart desires and your sexual desires, but it just tells us what we actually worship so often is what the world is often worshiping, which is sex. 
So, which also just tells us we don't understand what sex is actually about. Um, so how did we make our marriage work? So sex was just completely off the table. Year seven hit and a repressed childhood memory of assault surfaced for me. And then it magnetized to my attractions to the same sex that I had known. They had gone, not gone away. They were still there. They were just something to surrender. But this, when this trauma came up and the sexual attractions magnetized to them, I looked at Matt and I was like, what the heck? Like, sure, you're not my perpetrator, but you're a dude and you're reminding me, you're triggering me like, like my perpetrator. Plus, I don't even, I'm not even naturally attracted to you. So I was really struggling. I was really struggling with staying in our marriage. Now, uh, chapter one, if you guys want to um, listen in, want to read chapter one, you can get that for free on our site at lauriecreek.com. But you hear me wrestle through, all right, God, I made a pro-con list. Do I stay in my marriage? And, and wrestling through, I, re- I got to a point where I was like, okay, fine, God. Not even, okay, fine. By the end, I was like, oh, boy wow, I want you, God. Therefore, I want what you have for me. And what you have for me is this marriage. I don't know how you're going to make it work. I don't know if we're ever going to be sexually intimate again, but I want you. So I want what you have for me. And so I said, not my will, but yours. But then I had to go through like actually living my life and (laughs) figuring this marriage thing out, which is where your question comes in. So like sex was off the table, like completely off the table. And the first six years, it was, you know, it was this heart thing leading to a physical thing. And um, sure, Matt had this pornography addiction for five years. And I don't say that to belittle it. I'm just, I'm saying it because it seems like it affects every marriage at some point. Um, But we worked through that by year six, then year seven, here we are. Now, I, I can't get into all the nitty gritty of how did we pursue each other's hearts in the midst of this, but I will say I had to not see sex as ultimate either. So Matt had beat porn, but in his heart, he still saw it as this place to run to sex, not porn, sex with me, his wife, you know, that's where lust is legal in the Christian world. But he saw it as ultimate. He did not see God as ultimate. He was not looking through sex to God who wants holistic oneness with him. He looked to sex. Now, I looked at the same time. I was looking away. I was like, okay, God, I want you. But God didn't want me to look to sex to meet the needs of my heart. But he did maybe want to use it. And now this is years into our journey as a tool to look through to God who wants to be one with me. Now, in those years before I could once again see sex, not even once again, before I could and Matt could see sex for what it really is, a a metaphor in the marriage metaphor to show us God's holistic desire and one day oneness with us in uh, the new heavens and new earth, we had to understand what the heck oneness is. I heard lots of sermons growing up, again, from dudes, which, whatever, we don't need to get into that, but male pastors talking about, now, you guys, you need to be one. And it felt like, and maybe I'm just super biased and 
whatever. It just fell off and like the male pastors were like kind of wink winking, like you guys got to be one if you're married. And it just felt like oneness was a euphemism for sex. But if you look at what sex actually is, this pointer to eternity and this holistic oneness we'll have with God, holistic is the key word. And so Matt and I, a way that helped us to really find each other's heart again, not with the goal, so then we can have sex, but with the goal of really uh, being one so that when the world looks at us, they see God's desire to be one with us, which is the purpose of marriage. We had to see, okay, are there other areas in our life where we are holistically one, where we feel that union, that, that when people see us, they can see God's desire to be one with them. And um, that was such a helpful tool. Just, okay, when do we feel unified? Sure, we can't be one there, um, but where else do we? And for us, it was on walks, side by side, talking about deep things, maybe holding hands. There's a physical connector that adds into that holistic piece, talking spiritually, intellectually, laughing together, having a social time and or even doing our podcast together there we felt unified and so i i love josh how you were talking and reflecting on your own marriage of um this holistic there's a lot more avenues to oneness besides all roads lead to sex um but for us a tool to help really heal some of the fissure in our marriage was seeing where are we already doing well where are we already connected yeah what what struck me the most and i think it's the way you structured the book um that how open the two of you are in your communication with one another your admissions of Mm -hmm. sexual brokenness how you turn to each other in times of temptation and it's Mm -hmm. really like you're like okay we we really have a a problem in this aspect of our marriage um, mm. so we have to use our strengths to overcome yes. our weaknesses. And, mm. um, you, you feel like cause, cause, uh, most people that I talk to would not be comfortable having the kinds of conversations, even the kind of conversation that you and I are having right now. I'm sure there's someone <laughs> listening to it who's going like, this is this is an uncomfortable conversation, um, but they're, they're not comfortable having those kinds of conversations. And that's probably due mm-hmm. to Christian culture and the fact that we don't talk openly about sex or sexuality. Yeah. Um, like I said, we kind mm-hmm. of wink, 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 nudge, nudge about it and, and kind of talk mm-hmm. around the issue um, all while elevating it to a, a place of idolatry within the marriage relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel like your backgrounds and ministry and counseling sort of help with that freedom to Mm -hmm. have these conversations? Because I I just feel like most couples that I know would just just be like, I don't know how to talk about this to anyone, anyone, let alone Mm -hmm. to their spouse. Um, And that that seems to be like a key starting point to me, that if you weren't able to talk about it, if you weren't able to have that conversation, if you weren't able to have that aspect of your relationship, I don't know how you would be in healing 
in those areas of weakness. So for the people that are just like, I don't know that I could do this. Like I appreciate that they yeah. can. What, what advice would you have for them to sort of get started? Yeah. I want to, I want to say this tenderly. Um, but it is very interesting that we will, <laughs> sorry, this is vulnerable, but or not vulnerable. This is kind of graphic ish. But, like, we'll mash our naked bodies together with our spouse, right? Okay? But we won't talk. We won't get soul to soul. And that's a little sad to see, like, to he- like to think about. Like, all right, let's get, let's get vulnerable at our heart level. And, and um, I think, so I just say that to say, oh, may- maybe we can just be aware of, okay, we're, we are vulnerable, at least perhaps in one area. Can we can we work to try and do that at a heart level? So how would you start? Um, I think I even with how honest Matt and I are in conversation. I mean, in the last 24 hours, we were um, wrestling through something not not related directly to what we're talking about today. And in my own heart, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to. I want to stay silent. I want to stay mad. I want to stay in my own little corner and I don't want to be vulnerable. I also do not want to say I'm sorry. (laughs) And I don't think we can downplay that there is a spiritual deal going on around us at all times. I'm not going to try and over-spiritualize this, but I'm not going to negate the spiritual reality that marriage when men and women, very different man and very different woman, die to self daily to be one with their spouse, they show the world a picture of the gospel, how Jesus died to be one with us and how we are to die daily to experience increasing oneness with him. So we're living a 24-7 gospel metaphor if God has called us to marriage. And single people, you are too. I talk about that, but I'm just going to focus on marriage for a second. You think Satan wants us to live and show the world a 24-7 gospel picture? Now. <laughs> so he wants disunity. He's about steal, kill, and destroy. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, man, I want to say this, but I don't want to say this. I want to say this, but I don't want to say this. But I should probably say this. Ask the Lord. Start with prayer. Jesus, I want oneness with my spouse, not so that we can live a Hallmark Disney movie. I, I know Hallmark and Disney are not together, but not so that we can be this cute little couple, but God, I want to show the world a gospel picture of how much you love them. And God, I want to show my spouse how much you love them, how Jesus loves them. And I want to experience that too. But God, will you please help me to open up my mouth and to share um, about what's going on in this area? And maybe you don't start with talking about, you know, sex or struggles with like your deepest core, 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 but maybe you just start with right where you're at. Something that happened in your day that you feel easily, somehow it's easier to talk to our friends at times, at least for me, um, than my husband. Um, so then I go, Oh, let's uh, maybe start with that. That one thing that happened in the day and you share that. And then You start with something silly and then go a little deeper. And then tomorrow you try something else and you ask a question. But 
I think starting with prayer, starting with understanding that uh, there is a spiritual battle um, and that there's also a spiritual champion. God is for that gospel oneness. That's a good desire you have. And so, God, will you help me do this right now to share this piece? So I would start with prayer and know that he's your champion. He's your, your marriage champion all day, every day. So it really does change, and I think that's kind of the theme of this conversation, the way that you think about marriage when you, mm. when you see it as a metaphor of Christ in the church. Mm. And yeah, dude. I, I do think that some people look at that and they're like, ew, icky. Uh, but that's because, again, we've elevated <laughs> the sexual aspect of the relationship to mm. be the predominant one. And we look at that and we're like, mm. that's not a metaphor that I really am comfortable with. Um, mm. And when you, when you place it into the context, the overall construct of a marriage relationship and everything that it's supposed to entail mm. and, and and obviously it is a, a metaphor you know paul calls it a mystery it's it's something that we can't yeah. really quite understand um mm. this is the closest thing that we have uh to describe this other you know relationship uh it does change how we view our spouse and how we view the sort of the I guess the outward face of the marriage relationship when we mm. when we when we see it as being a almost like we're living missionally through that marriage relationship. But when people you know see a marriage relationship and they see how it works and they're like, oh, you know, look how kind they are to one another, or, mm. or look at how each person sacrifices. Or the other, or even look at how they deal with um, with times of grief and lament and struggle. Um, mm. the, the way in, the way in which you relate to this person who is always with you uh, is a key aspect of um, you know love your neighbor as yourself, and uh, your, your closest neighbor is the person who people live in the house with you. Um, mm. So I think that's a that's a start for it. Um, I, I don't really have a question at the end of this. I'm just sort of processing the, the whole thing on my own. Um, what, mm. for you, for you, what is the the key element of how how do you think that your marriage is different because of your understanding of this metaphor of marriage uh, as being between Christ and the church? I mean, it's everything. It's, I mean, and I will say with the trauma stuff, I needed counseling (laughs) with when Matt sins and, you know, looks at sex, even in our marriage as ultimate, he needs to confess that when I had my eyes outside of our marriage and like, if only, if only I needed to confess that. So I, we both have areas of confession we need to do. There's you know, counseling we needed. But the theology is not nothing. In fact, it is it feels at this point like I every time I talk to married couples, I'm constantly looking above their heads to what it tells me about God. And so when my friend P 
he was a pastor addicted to alcohol, addicted to porn, then got in affairs. And his wife, when she saw his completely repentant heart, which is critical, I'm not saying this is prescriptive for everyone in that scenario. He repents and turns and she forgives him and loves him. That shows the world how Jesus does that to us. Like, what is the language in the Old Testament of Israel? It's not like you're bad pupils, you pupils, like you students. He's like, you cheated on me. It's language of a lover. And so I see Jesus and how he loves me when I cheat on him with other lovers in my heart, when we all do with these idols or um, in a friend, another pastor friend, and his wife was married before and her husband was abusive. He got cheated. She ended up getting a divorce. And, you know, the marriage between them, I see the grafting in that God does with us as he adopts, as he brings us into his family. And so it's everything. Like, I never cried about marriage. Like, I never, I go to weddings and it's just kind of, ugh. but when you look above it to Revelation 19, when we will be one with God and you see, man, the excitement on her face and the desire on his face. And you think that's how it's going to be when I see Jesus. We are not looking far enough when we stare at Hallmark and then we look at our marriages or our lives and we're like, oh, why isn't it like a Hallmark movie? Why isn't it like Disney? Why isn't it like that chick? Like, we're not looking far enough. We're not looking to eternity. We got to look through our marriages, through the most beautiful romance story you've ever saw, and look to Jesus, who is better than all of that. And that's our realist reality. Well, Lori, I want to I want to thank you for taking time uh, out of your day to talk on the podcast. And uh, again, the book is An Impossible Marriage. What our mixed orientation marriage has taught us about love and the gospel by by Lori and Matt Craig. Uh, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and being willing to speak. The book is it, there are so many marriage books out there. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's just shelves of them if you go to a Christian bookstore, and a mm-hmm. lot of them are just repeats of the same the same information over yeah. and over again. And and, th- and that's not bad because they they mm-hmm. they mostly say good things and they are helpful uh i'm not going to vouch for all of them because you've probably read ones that were not good at all um this one is different uh this one this one is different than what you have read before and i encourage you Mm -hmm. to pick it up and to to learn from it um and to really to see i the name of our site is life is story and that is exactly what is portrayed through this book. So Lori, again, thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me on.